the end of the New Hampshire primary, the end of the Constitution, and maybe the end of Twitter. This is the Balance of Power Roundtable broadcast on WKXL Radio, available wherever you get your podcasts and also available as a video on the video viewing platform of your choice, usually YouTube. Let's be honest, we're talking about YouTube. I'm Matt Robeson, your host, with our usual panel, a former Democratic U.S. Congressman, Paul Hodes, and conservative commentator, analyst, and consultant, Alicia Preston. Let's start with a subject near and dear to our hearts, because after all, we are broadcast in New Hampshire. Paul, you are a former New Hampshire congressman. This is something you have worked on and been a part of your political life for a long, long time. The president of the United States wants to end the tradition of the New Hampshire primary going first in the presidential nomination calendar, wants to give that honor to South Carolina. Uh, this is your party, man. What did you make of that? Well, politics is a pretty messy and uncomfortable business, isn't it? Um, you don't come out to vote for, for me in uh, New Hampshire, but I salvage my campaign in South Carolina with my good friend Jim Clyburn. And oh, by the way, Democrats have been fusticating about getting rid of the New Hampshire and Iowa uh, first in the nation contests forever and ever. So here's a good excuse. And what do I care anyway? I may run, I may not run. But if I run, I want to run in South Carolina before I run in New Hampshire. And by the way, if New Hampshire, you know, messes around with us, we'll just sanction them. We'll call it a beauty contest. We'll strip them of their delegates. And oh, by the way, I won't show up because I'm Joe Biden and I won't have to show up. And I don't care anymore, New Hampshire. You're a small, white old state. And what do you know about primaries? So, you know, I mean, probably 90%, maybe 99% of the Democratic Party sees this with a shrug and as if they care, as if why should we spend so much attention on New Hampshire every four years? That little white, formerly cold state up there in the far right-hand corner, who knows, who cares? Because Primaries have changed anyway. We don't go to living rooms. We don't go to uh, diners. We, we're we a tarmac campaign now. We just advertise. So politics has changed. And here we are knowing in New Hampshire, this day would come. We knew it. We made a law to try to, uh, a, a very serious law that said we must be first. Well, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm Are you for this or against this? You you I, just you just I, gave a politician answer there, Paul. Are you is this a good thing or a bad thing? So I'm giving you some of the emotional background, but New Hampshire cares. I mean, we place. What great, do you care, Paul Hodes? Is this Ham a good move for the New Democratic Party? <laughs> New Hampshire cares. Oh, okay, so, you're okay. off the stage, Alicia. Okay, no wait, wait. I'll, okay, okay, now I'll, follow, wait, okay, wait, wait. You're gonna get I'll down tell to you it. how I I'll tell you how I really feel. I think the New Hampshire primary serves a really important purpose. I think that having a small state where um, there really is still a possibility that an unknown candidate can get some traction uh, is important. I think it puts a premium on grassroots instead of big money. Uh, it can, it should. And for that purpose, having a small state, even if it's not demographically uh, correct, even if it doesn't fit the demographics, is important. And the fact that it's been held here for a long, long time is also important. It's kind of traditional. And frankly, from my point of view, there's nothing wrong with tradition. I understand the impetus to get rid of it. I think it's a, a, a bad move and New Hampshire should stay first. 
Boom. That was a, for a politician, that was an am amazingly concise and on point response from Paul Hodes. Alicia, um, your take, I mean, it's only the Democrats who are doing this thus far, but, you know, it, it affects the Republicans too. What'd you make of it? You know, I, I think their attempts to strong arm New Hampshire are downright offensive. You know, in the decision making to remove New Hampshire from the first, they put us at second with Nevada and then said, by the way, you can only be there if you change your laws. So they're literally telling the sovereign state of New Hampshire, a political party, you have to change your laws. By the way, you have to do it by February 23rd. That's not how the New Hampshire legislature works. We don't even start meeting until January. And the deadline for bills to be entered into the House of Representatives has already closed. So it would be almost impossible to even change the law in that way. But the idea that a political party is making demands on a sovereign state to change our laws of voting and early voting and our primary date in order to participate in the process is simply outrageous. It's insane. If Republicans were doing this to a democratic state, the left would be up in arms. But moreover, it's a mistake. And here's why it's a mistake <clears throat> for the candidates. Bill Clinton would not have become president were it not for New Hampshire. That is a fact. He got himself known here. He, I mean, Songus was in Massachusetts state, uh, excuse me, Massachusetts senator. So he, you know, got the bump, but he died. And Bill Clinton won the country because he got known in New Hampshire. It's small. It's cheap. You can go everywhere. The other problem in South Carolina is I have worked presidential campaigns in South Carolina. It is a completely different beast. You are not going to Sally Sue's house and her inviting her neighbors over and you having tea, which happens all the time in New Hampshire for Republicans and Democrats meeting presidential candidates. You are doing big, massive, expensive events. Um, you're holding events in halls where 500 people can come. That get to know a candidate, vet him out doesn't happen. And it's much more expensive to work in a market like South Carolina. You have to start out of the gate with money, something you don't have to do in New Hampshire. So I think it's a mistake. I think it's a mistake for a politician that isn't already well-known and nationally known like Bill Clinton at the time of his nomination and election. And uh, I think think the DNC strong arming New Hampshire, we should just tell them to go pound sand. Well, you're both completely wrong. And I'm going to go ahead and dunk on the state of New Hampshire, which I otherwise love. I enjoyed having children here and raising them here. And it, it's a wonderful place to, uh, you know, have a vacation. First of all, New Hampshire has no special role in picking winners, nor should it. Since 1976, the eventual nominee for each party has only won the New Hampshire primary about half the time. The state has only picked three future presidents. It doesn't have any special barometer. It doesn't set the compass for the rest of the country. It's also not a particularly representative or, or good place to do politics. It's a bit of a myth in my mind that there's a lot more retail politics here. And if there are, that's not good. Why is that better? Why should we pick a president because they go and sit in someone's living room more comfortably than they communicate and do the actual job of a president, which is largely on TV? How often do decisions affecting the future of the country get made by Joe Biden going and sitting down in someone's living room? Never. It is not really a thing. But that really just connects to my larger point, my larger problem with the nomination process. It's stupid. And I'm going to speak directly to Democrats here, although I guess if Republicans want to listen and weigh in and take some note of this, uh, go for it. The purpose of a nomination process is to win the presidency, is to determine a candidate best positioned to win the presidency. Our nomination process is not particularly great at that. Like I just said, New Hampshire doesn't do a very good job of it. By the way, the statistics are even worse for Iowa. Iowa's process is even dumber than New Hampshire's. I don't want 
New Hampshire to have an outsized role in picking the future president. New Hampshire has a better claim than Iowa because it's at least a swingy state. I want the nomination from each party to be determined by the people who are going to be voting in swing states. I think we should give massive advantages to people voting in Georgia, Arizona, Wisconsin, Michigan, you know, the states where you have to have a candidate that's actually going to win those states in order to win the, pri- the, the presidency. New Hampshire, I guess, qualifies somewhat from that standpoint. You know who should not have much of a role at all? Massachusetts. Yeah. Yeah. You heard me, Massachusetts. I don't know why Democrats in Massachusetts have a greater say in picking the nominee than Democrats in Michigan and Arizona and Wisconsin. So it's stupid having the New Hampshire primary go early or go first has absolutely no uh, sup- no basis in any rational pathway to picking a president. It's dumb and it should be done away with. But putting South Carolina first doesn't make a lot more sense either. I mean, that's not a particularly contested state. So right change, wrong reasons. Any response to my epic rant? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Where, you're where, you're where, not from New Hampshire, but where are you from again? Oh, I'm from a small island off the coast of North America, Manhattan. You're from New York, right? So there's another longstanding tradition in New Hampshire, along with the New Hampshire primary, is that we never give a damn what New Yorkers think of us. Mm. It's just a longstanding thing. Yeah, we, we disown you, in fact. In, yeah, in we, fact, we do. We, in fact, where are you from, Paul Hodes? <laughs> we disown where you. Where are you from, Paul Hodes? <clears throat> He's an accepted pr- transplant. I am oh, accepted please. because I, rep- I I was an actual congressman. I mean, I, I went to, you know, I, I went and did things in Washington, D.C. Um, with a little help from my friends like you, Robeson. But I don't know how the mighty have fallen. What happened to you? You drank some kind of weird Kool-Aid this morning. It is absolutely... Absolute. It, it is. It's mythological on on the on 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 an epic scale. You may not, under any circumstance, disavow the New Hampshire primary. That is the oath we take when we cross the border from the flatlands into the great mountainous state of New Hampshire, from the sea to the mountains, from Portsmouth hey, to Keene. Speaking of the mountains, can from, I can I point Kingston, something out to you? From Kingston, for people to, around the country. I, if you ever visit New Hampshire and you have the pleasure of driving across the Connecticut River into Vermont, you're going to notice something. Vermont is pretty. Vermont has vibrant colors. New hey, Hampshire looks wait a second. like someone I have pictures. The tint I, down. I have it's, pictures. It's gray. I, it's ugly. Oh, stop. People come wait, from like Asia to see our tree turning in the fall. Literally. Wait a second. I have pictures. Yeah, and they, and they, I, wait a and second. they leave there and they say, I, I, well, I'm, this is so I'm much telling you, Vermont. I, I'm actually going to answer the dumb question. Uh, it, it's a stupid question. Of course, New Hampshire could should keep its first pro- in the nation primary because we do it better than anybody else. I have pictures of me and Barack Obama before he was Barack Obama going up and down Main Street, actually meeting people and talking to people. That doesn't happen in 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 uh, in uh, in other places. Okay, I have, can I challenge you on that? Why is is that good? Because you can what judge someone's character. Do? Wouldn't have been nice if Donald Trump walked around and had to be met and actually answer a face to face question. People. I mean, he, he got to stand behind a podium. Of. There's there's a protection when you're before a crowd. Right. If you have to go into someone's living room and shake their hand, you can judge someone's character, the quality of their being. And Obama did that. Bush did that. Every single president that's been president of the United States, at least in the modern era, has done that. And you can check them for humanity. You can't do that from someone reading a speech behind a podium. And that's all you're going to get. 
Yeah, but you can check them for humanity, but it doesn't turn out to actually have any influence really on who we select as president. So people can sure walk up and down Main Street the live long day. Well, I just cited the statistics. New Hampshire doesn't particularly pick winners. No, but you know what it does? The rest of the country watches as they're getting in front of the television and, and the news stories every single day while they're in New Hampshire. That gets spread across the country. That's how Bill Clinton got known. He was being personable, human, one-on-one with people in New Hampshire, and the rest of the country watched watched it happen. He got known for all the wrong reasons. And then he got better known because he mounted a little bit of a comeback here. He could have done that in another state. No, he actually couldn't have because you couldn't have the personal one-on-one behavior and actions and knowledge that you got here in New Hampshire. Yeah. Tell all that to Joe Biden, right? He got fustigated, which I think is the word Paul was looking for earlier. Um, you sort I of used combined it. fulminated Fust- and fustigated. No, I said He's a former vice president. That's not the same as an unknown character not nationally known being able to He's get a their foot vice in the president who kind of got his rear handed to him in Iowa, New Hampshire and Nevada before getting the endorsement of Jim Clyburn and winning in South Carolina. Hey, I endorsed him. I endorsed him in New Hampshire. It didn't do much good. My point well, is that's not who we're targeting. If only the Joe Bidens of the world can run and become president, then that's all we're going to have. We're not going to have the underdogs. We're not going to have the people that don't start with $500 million cash in their bank accounts, being able to be the better candidate, get known as the better candidate. You can only do that in a state like New Hampshire. You can't do it in South Carolina. You certainly can't do it in bigger media market states like New York or Florida or California or Illinois. It's never going to happen. So what you're setting up is a situation where only well-funded, well-known, already high name ID candidates can ever even run for president. That would eliminate pretty much every recent president in the last 40 years, with the exception of Joe Biden. Bill Clinton is an interesting case, and we could talk about whether or not his ability to campaign in New Hampshire was a significant factor in him making it to the presidency. I don't think he was as much of an unknown underdog as that narrative makes out. But really, truly, give me an example of someone who leveraged the more in-person supposed nature of the campaigning. In Pete Buttigieg. Pete Buttigieg in the last in the last go round came in second to Bernie Sanders, the perennial favorite of the left wing activist Democrats to in, become president. I'm sure not, not to become president. Now he's the secretary of transportation and people are talking about him as a future presidential candidate. He would not have been able to do that without the grassroots appeal he showed and was able to gin up in New Hampshire. It he just already done happen. well in Iowa. He, and you know what? Like he was out two weeks later. I mean, you know, so like he would not be tra- uh, secretary of the tra- of transportation right now were it not for his success in the presidential primary process. That's a fact. That to me is a nice story. I sound like a, I sound like a jerk right now. I'm like, cool story, guys. I mean, it's a nice story. But is that in itself a reason to have the New Hampshire primary go first? Does that You're the one who asked for the anecdote? You asked for a story. That's not a story of someone becoming president because the magic of the Jimmy Cata, Jimmy Cata, Jimmy, as, as my Buttigieg friend might be president. would say, Jimmy Cata, Jimmy Cata, 1976. Nobody knew him. He was a peanut farmer. And then he came to New Hampshire and, and look at him. He became president. And uh, Pete Buttigieg may be president in the future. We don't know. None of it would happen were it not for the path that was set for him by being able to be hands-on here in New Hampshire. He's a likable guy. He came out, what, fourth in Iowa? 
Um, I mean, he, he I'm was not advocating already, for Iowa. I'm advocating remember, for there New were, Hampshire. There were 18. There were 18. He had already shown tremendous strength in his campaign. I don't think that his finish in New Hampshire was dispositive here. He w- It's more a reflection of the fact that he was already considered one of the potential final contenders. Remember, at the time, what was happening was Democrats were searching for a centrist alternative to Bernie, and they had their doubts about Joe Biden. And so they were casting around a little bit. And for a while, their eye fell on two people, Amy Klobuchar and Pete Buttigieg. And both of them did relatively well in Iowa. And, you know, you know, in, in Amy's case, not so well in New Hampshire. But that's that's what was going on. I don't think it was the special quality of campaigning in New Hampshire. They were already locked into those top few slots. So I don't see how a mayor from a city, a city that most people have never heard of, let alone know who the mayor is, how the mayor of a city. Oh, I'm sorry. I had a winged out of a cough there. A mayor of a city would be elevated to the place he was elevated were it not for the ability to campaign in New Hampshire, to get coverage of his campaigning in New Hampshire. The rest of the country, she was a governor of a state. She was the governor of a state. People who just was a mayor of a city and not New York City, Matt. I know there are other, there are actually other cities out there. There are and not. he was mayor of a city and <laughs> he was able to be elevated, not because of what the vote was on the primary day, but because of the lead up, because of all the news coverage, the social media coverage, the people talking about what he was doing here in New Hampshire got him known so, across the country. Okay, Otherwise, so wait, no one had heard of him. So hold on. Hold on. So what's going to happen? I mean, New Hampshire is the Democrats, the Democratic establishment in New Hampshire has gone bat wing crazy. I mean, you know, it's like this is this is Armageddon. People are girding their loins. They are they are they are they're planning a moonshot. I mean, it's it's and and it it has created some chaos in a party, which is, by the way, is known for being chaotic anyway. I mean, you you might say, well, it's Democrats. Of course, they're going to throw this kind of wrench into the into the into the process. Why, why not? And at least they waited till after the midterms so that Maggie Hassan could get elected. Because if they tried this, if they tried this a couple of weeks ago, Maggie would never have gotten elected. People would say, "You Democrats, look at what you've done. We don't need a Democratic senator." And she would have been out on out on her heels. So now they've thrown the Democratic Party into total chaos and they're going to sanction New Hampshire. They're going to they're going to tell us to change our law. They're going to say you don't get any delegates. Yes, you were not. Yes. You don't. Yes, you don't, they are. And you know you what else? You don't. And count? you know what else? You know what will happen? First of all, I, I know Ray Buckley, if you're listening, he's the chair of the New Hampshire Democratic Party. We we like Ray. He's been a guest on our show. We, we've known him for years and years. Um, so what's going to happen here? Ray and the Democratic Party leadership of New Hampshire is going to be unhappy. Okay. You know, and is this going to actually hurt us with real humans who show up to vote? In for, or we're going to lose, we're going to lose. No, we're going to lose the billions, B, with a B, of dollars of revenue brought into the state of New Hampshire that come. No, New Hampshire will. Cycle. But does the National Democratic Party care? I submit to you that they do not. And if Democratic leaders in New Hampshire are upset about this. This will not affect the ability of the of the next nominee to win the presidency because normal people do not care. Let's talk about something else that may come to an end, at least if Donald Trump has anything to say about it. He suggested at the very end of last week that it's time to suspend the Constitution because of 
um, crazy, big lie. I don't know. Alicia, you had a fascinating experience. You posted about this on Facebook. Um, what did you think and what kind of response did you get? <laughs> First of all, he does not want to suspend the t- Constitution. He wants to terminate. 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 The word is terminate. Portions uh, of the Constitution. I am the okay. terminator. I'm going to terminate <laughs> the Constitution. You know, we've actually uh, heard that in a German accent before in history. Just want to say. <laughs> Uh, I, I did. I, I kind of was testing it out. I made a post. I made no statement, uh, personal opinion. I just said, you know, when one wants to terminate the Constitution, what does that mean to you? And um, I have a lot of people who apparently don't like me very much out there in the, in, in the web world. Um, I'm childish. Um, These are your Facebook dead. friends, right? These are my Facebook friends. Yeah, I'm childish. <laughs> I'm brain dead. I'm uh, I'm a loser. Um you know, Luza. all kinds of stuff. Lose you know, and I love oh, people oh who are like, gosh. were those posts from, from Donald Trump's, what's it, the name of his alter ego? Was, <laughs> was it, when he'd pretend to be someone else <laughs> is like, right. this is John Stamos. And I'm just calling <laughs> to tell you that you're a loser and Donald Trump is amazing. Did you get a lot of posts like that? <laughs> yes. The best president ever in response to this. Now, mind you, I didn't mention the president. I didn't even state an opinion. I just said, when one does this, what does it mean to you? And what does it mean is the cult knew what I was talking about and came out to defend him without answering the question, without answering the question. Look, this is serious. It's laughable because it's insane. But and, and I want to read it so that those who haven't seen it understand. He said, quote, a massive fraud of this type and magnitude, which would be the big lie, allows for termination of all rules, regulation and articles, even those found in the Constitution. That is a former president of the United States sworn to uphold the very document he just ripped apart for his own benefit. He wants to be reinstated as president, he says in the same truth social post. This is the stuff of bad books from the mid 20th century. This is authoritarian. This is dictatorial. This is freaky. And what scares me more than Donald Trump, because I don't think he's ever going to see the Oval Office again, is that there are people, Republicans, we're the ones who keep saying that we're the ones who support the Constitution. We keep saying, you Democrats don't respect the Constitution. You want to change it. You want to tweak it. We keep criticizing for decades, Democrats. And yet the de facto head of the Republican Party says he wants to terminate it for his own personal gain. And I'm more upset at the people defending him, supporting him and not running away as fast as they can. And yet still calling themselves Republicans. You know, look, the Constitution's an old, musty document. It was written a long time ago. It does. I mean, it's like it's like it's like old parchment. It's crumbling. It's under glass. Who needs it? Right. Let's let's try something new like nothing. Let's let's try. Let's try. Let's try something new like no law. Or if it's if it hurts me then it's not a not a law if it's a vote that i lose it's not a vote i think that's a perfectly good replacement for an old musty fusty you know crumbling document who pays any attention to it anyway i never read the constitution i bet most people don't even know what the constitution says it says a lot of stuff do we pay any attention in our everyday life of course (laughs) not we don't need it anymore while we're doing this week in Trump and speaking of legal documents, um, there were some interesting happenings in, in the realm of legal documents. First of all, remember when we all expended a lot of breath on Eileen Cannon, the district judge appointed by Trump right out of the Federalist Society, 
completely not qualified and seemingly determined to give Trump special status above mere mortals. Well, an appeals court came down like a ton of bricks on her and gave her what Politico described as a spanking and uh, basically said, yeah, your whole special master thing is ludicrous. It's completely unlawful. There's no support for it. You probably should go back to law school. Uh, so that that whole thing is done. The DOJ has free reign um, with a special prosecutor to go through all the seized documents from Mar-a-Lago. Also happening mid last week and a little bit under the radar, although I did a video about this. You can find it on YouTube on the Blue Amp channel. The uh, Trump tax returns were turned over by the Treasury Department to the House after the Supreme Court basically said, that Donald Trump's attempts for years now to try and keep them out of Congress's hands were ludicrous. He had no standing. Not a single one of his handpicked Supreme Court justices stood against turning over his tax returns. Um, Paul, I, is one of these more legally significant to you? Does one of them create more legal peril in your mind? I think the 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 easiest prosecution of Donald Trump is for stealing classified documents. I mean, whatever he says, he could say, well, it was U-Haul. I didn't know what was in the boxes. He could say, I told people to do the right thing and they did the right thing. But then they open his desk and they find at his personal desk, top secret, confidential, classified, top secret documents that nobody should have, you know, talking about nuclear secrets with this, that, the other. I mean, it's an easy prosecution. The DOJ went out of their way to be cooperative. They worked with his lawyers. They, they, I mean, the lawyers talked to Trump and Trump said, I've given them everything. He didn't give them everything. He took documents. It's a pretty easy case. And now that uh, the special master craziness is out of the way, the DOJ can use the documents. I, I frankly would not be surprised with indictments coming um, within the next month or two. Uh, I think Trump is going to be indicted on the documents. What, whatever else the DOJ does with him on January 6th or anything else, uh, that's a pretty straightforward case. Alicia, would you like to weigh in? I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you sort of the um, what do they call it? An IHOP. If you, you know, you're the, your your breakfast of choice. I'm going to give you your disgusting breakfast of choice. You ready? It's all from the Trump menu. Here you Ooh, go. Mm. Would you like to weigh in on the many, many legal perils of Trump? I have a great graphic about this that I stole from the Washington Post that I put in the video. It looks like it looks like a roulette wheel of stupidity. It's all the investigations and prosecutions underway of Donald Trump. There's a lot. Um, would you like to weigh in on that? Or would you like to go even further and sample from the GOP crazy menu, which includes Kanye West, Nick Fuentes, and Marjorie Taylor Greene? Your choice. Well, I'm going to have a little bit from this plate and a little bit from that. And fantastic! <laughs> it is it is literally the poo poo platter. It's, it's, the, it's, platter. it's the Chinese restaurant menu. One from column A, one from column B. Yes. Um, all right. Go for it. You know, first of all, there are a lot of people out there defending Trump saying this appeals court in Florida that overturned Eileen Cannon thing. They're biased, et cetera, et cetera. It's a panel of three. Two were appointed by Donald Trump himself. So if they had bias, it would have gone the other direction. Um, you know, I, I think. I'll leave the legal stuff to Paul. I think a lot of this comes down to why we're seeing the extreme behavior from Donald Trump. And he's been extreme before, but calling off the Constitution kind of is a big one even for him. I think he knows he's in trouble. I think he knows something's coming down. I think he's panicking. 
I think he's desperate. And I think that's the behavior of an irrational, scared man, to be perfectly frank. As for the other stuff, I think Kanye West's a whack job. I thought he was a whack job before it was cool to think he's a whack job. I think he's nuts. Do we all remember that he had a GoFundMe to raise $50 million because he only had a couple billion and he didn't think he should have to spend his own money for the world to see his magic? Uh, The guy's a loon. That being said, look, every person in office, Obama, you know, loved to have Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt come on over. You know, I remember when the Democrats loved and embraced Sean Penn till he started roaming around the globe, meeting with dictators. Same thing with Dennis Rodman. I don't know the allure of politicians pulling in famous Hollywood somebodies to be like, look how cool we are, because if you're a politician in Washington, you just aren't that cool. Maybe Obama was cool. I didn't like him as president, but he might have been cooler than other politicians. But politicians aren't cool. (laughs) He was definitely cool. I mean, he was certainly cooler than, you know, other politicians. Yeah. But uh, other than him, politicians in Washington, no offense, Paul, you're cool because you're in a band. But most of y'all down there aren't cool. You're like policy people. That's fine. So they call in Hollywood. Oh, you're definitely not cool, Matt. (laughs) You're definitely the policy wonk. I don't even want to hear it. You've been talking Um, to my kids. (laughs) They have the same opinion. So they align themselves with Hollywood famous people to make themselves sound cool. You know, Trump did it. Every president's done it. I don't care. And Kanye's still in a, And I said it before it was cool. Speaking of being cool. All right. Can I can I just dig in a little <laughs> bit to continue the food metaphor for a second into this delicious poo-poo platter of Kanye, Nick Fuentes, and Marjorie Taylor Greene and, and other unsavory characters? Um for people who have missed this, and there's another great video about this also on Blue Amp from my friend and former guest on this show, Cliff Schechter, trying to break this down for people, but it really is a case of Republican insanity bingo. Get out your Republican insanity bingo cards because you may be about to win our special drawing here. So apparently what happened was, um, I'm going to see if I can follow this. I, I'm not sure I can. All right. So Donald Trump, has dinner with Kanye West. So that was bad in itself. Remember, Kanye is the guy who said he was going to go DEFCON 3 on the Jews. Now, first of all, what bothers me about this, and I'm Jewish, is not just that he said he was going to go to a defense alert condition against my people. It's that he picked the wrong one. DEFCON 1 is when you go nuclear, right? DEFCON 1 is when you're in nuclear war. DEFCON 3 is like, you know, your bombers are in the air. What does that even mean? I just want to point out the fact that, you know, that goes to my whole cool theory. You know, it's insanely cool cool to know what these things are. No, come on. Uh Okay. Okay. Yes. No, I, I, I'm, I'm a giant dork. I admit it. Okay. Here we go. (laughs) So. So he invites Kanye to dinner per the Alicia Preston theory of, I just want to rub elbows with Hollywood and music industry people, no matter how nuts they are. Kanye brings along Nick Fuentes. Nick Fuentes is a white nationalist. Um, I won't even get into the racism, anti-Semitism, everything-ism that he has spouted. He's a well-known figure. Now, to be fair, I couldn't have picked him out of a lineup, although if I saw him in a lineup, I would have said, that guy looks like a white nationalist. I'm pr- I, I would put some money on him being a white nationalist, but whatever. Um, the Secret Service, by the way, would have had to have known the name of the person attending this dinner. So his whole blarney of like, oh, we had no way of knowing who this person is, hogwash. But anyway, all right. Nick Fuentes comes to dinner, right? And then Marjorie Taylor Greene, 
Of course, she has to show up. She's like Zelig. She has to show up in every insane story from the far right. Um, she sends a text message saying that she would like to go over to she, – she sends a text message to Milo Giannopoulos. He's another far-right um, anti-Semite, racist type. He does have the distinction of being gay, so he's he, he doesn't spout anti-gay stuff. So if you're following me, Marjorie Taylor Greene sends a text to Milo Giannopoulos after the dinner saying she wants to meet with him – and Kanye because he's running Kanye West's presidential campaign. Then she finds out that Nick Fuentes might be there and she uh, disses Nick Fuentes. So this is turning into like a rap battle, right? So then Nick Fuentes says, oh, no, you didn't. And he goes, she goes on her podcast and this is Nick Fuentes and says he's a young, immature boy and a racist. And then she and then he arranges to have one of his allies turn on her and say that she's an adulterer. Um, she wants to be the face of Christian nationalism. She's divorced. Um, how can you do that? How can you be the face of Christian nationalism when you're a divorced woman? Um, and so now they're all at each other's throats. And I think they're going to have a dance off um, and they're all going to be wearing hoods and Alicia, this is your political party. Hooray! Yeah. Yay! Let's not yeah. forget the, the best part of all of this, that somewhere in the middle of all this on Saturday morning in L.A., Nick Fuentes, who I had actually never heard of until all this, got in a physical food fight, an actual food fight at an In-N-Out burger because someone criticized him and threw a ketchup packet at him. And TMZ got the video. So it's on video. Nick Fuentes is now on TMZ. On video, you know, think of how his life has changed in the last week. I mean, there's a no, lot. there's no, I'd such like thing to think as, about that. I will. There's no such thing as bad publicity. Right. Well, listen, <laughs> Nick, listen, you, you racist, anti-Semitic piece of, you know, what, if the worst thing that happens to you is people throw ketchup at you at an in and out <laughs> burger, you're living a good life, man. Okay. After the stuff you've said, um, I, I can only hope, well, I'm not calling for violence. I, I'm not, I would never advocate violence against a human being. But, you know, humiliation. Yeah. Kanye I, West, I, Nick Fuentes and Donald Trump walk into a bar. No, this actually happened. Oh, no, no, no. Wait, they were. They did. They were. They were at the bar in Mar-a-Lago. You think this is a joke? This is real. No, no, um, no. I, I, I read the reports. What all I wanted to know was, how's the food at Mar-a-Lago? You know, I was just pretty, thinking that. It's like I bet the carpet. It's, I bet it's pretty bad. I bet it's like, you know, I don't know. I just bet it's bad. It's, I uh, always wonder in th things like that, what was served for dinner? We know Donald Trump doesn't eat like crow. fancy food. They served crow, fried I crow. What was served. And how does uh, a white nationalist have dinner with a black man like Kanye West? It's oh, Do they God. unite over their anti-Semitism? It's all yes. very confusing. Usually that is sort of the lingua franca of crazy people. It's like, you know, we don't have a lot in common. I'm a white supremacist. You're black. Oh, wait, we both hate the Jews. That's that's always there we a way are. to bridge people. And yeah, then you wonderful. bond. Fantastic. Yes. Um, and then hey. the, violin, the violins play. <laughs> and they mount on their horses and ride off into the Florida sunset. Oh, my gosh. Thinking <laughs> of them all mounting. All right. Anyway, we're, 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 we're off. Hey, but, you know, speaking of insane right wing people. 
Can we talk for a moment about Elon Musk and the coming meltdown of Twitter? Oh, um, it's already happened. Uh, oh, yeah, it's, it's happening. It, it's let, me happening. Give you, let me give you a few things that have gone on here, just for people who haven't been following all of this. And if you've been managing to not follow all of this, then I'm sorry to like impinge it on your consciousness. So a few things have happened. First of all, Elon Musk, um, noted Bond villain, uh, except incompetently so, bought Twitter. And since that time, the number of slurs against Black Americans that have shown up on Twitter has increased threefold. The slurs against gay men have increased almost twofold, and anti-Semitic posts referring to Jews or Judaism soared more than 61% in the two weeks after Mr. Musk acquired the site. Partly for that reason, and because of his potential replatforming of Donald Trump and other noxious figures from the far right, his money is drying up. His advertising is drying up. He actually said at the end of last week that the company is struggling to retain advertisers. He said on the record, we're seeing a significant decline in bookings. Um, an anonymous employee shared that Twitter's ad revenue is down 15% and weekly bookings are down 50%. They've suffered a massive drop in revenue. So when your company is failing and when you're a social media company and when your whole business model depends on people's attention and eyeballs. What do you do? You pull a stunt. And that is what Elon managed to do. Get this story. Um, media gadfly, Matt Taibbi, who has his own Substack, he used to be with Rolling Stone, and he's sort of made a name for himself by trying to be an iconoclast and criticizing Democrats and the media and kind of buying into Glenn Greenwald conspiracy theories, did this epic Twitter thread where he said that he had gotten inside access to Twitter emails. Who did he get them from? We don't know. Probably a guy named E. Musk, but whatever. And he regurgitates the whole Hunter Biden laptop thing. And he takes these completely innocuous emails. And he's like, aha, I have the smoking gun. This is phenomenal. And the right wing loses their mind and they talk about blah, blah, blah. Anyway, um, so my question to you, I, I guess, uh, Paul, I'll start with you, is is Twitter, is this the beginning of the Twitter death spiral? Is is Twitter in a death spiral? Uh, Twitter was headed for the crapper when Elon Musk bought it because Elon Musk is a whack job. And he's a very wealthy whack job, which is, uh, and he's also a brilliant genius, but brilliant geniuses can be whack jobs. And he spent $44 billion and bought this huge social media platform. Uh, people, uh, uh, the, the people who make Twitter, Twitter are beginning to desert the platform in protest. His advertisers are deserting the platform in protest. There's of course, crazy stuff going on on the platform. I, 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 I don't see it surviving um, in its present form. Uh, with Elon. I, th I, I think this is the beginning of some reorientation at Twitter. I'd like to think of it. As, if it's a death spiral, fine. Uh, Alicia, I mean, I guess same question to you. Plus, did you get anything of value for your consciousness out of the whole Matt Taibbi, Elon Musk, Hunter Biden laptop Twitter affair? No, and I think people are confused. You know, they're all like, oh, this governor tried to get something removed from Twitter. This White House, 
Every political office has done that. I have personally done that on behalf of campaigns, candidates, and people in office. When something is put up, and I know you referenced this at some point in something you did, Matt, when something is put up on traditional media or social media, if it is inaccurate or inflammatory or inappropriate in any way, the administration, the office, or the campaign will contact the organization, say why, and request to get removed. And often they will. That is a normal course of business. It existed long before social media. It was always just traditional media. And now as it expanded, that is not abnormal. That is not a conspiracy. Elon Musk chose to release only when Democrat stuff was required to be requested to be moved. Well, that's on him. Look, I don't think Twitter is going to go away anytime soon. I think it has changed. I will. And and what will happen is right wing hate spewing speechers will just collect themselves on Twitter and live in their hateful echo chamber. And I'm not talking Republicans. I'm talking hateful right wingers because I see it. What's strange to me, and this is what's changed. And I don't know if you guys have seen it. I do not generally use Twitter for anything political. I don't follow many politicians. I use it for one very simple reason, to follow soccer. I live in America. There aren't a lot of soccer fans here. On Twitter, we find each other. We West Ham fans, you know, follow everything we do. We're watching the World Cup. That is 98% of what I use Twitter for. And yet, and yet, as of about a week ago, I go into my Twitter feed and every crazy right-wing person with a million followers is there. There's a guy named Terrence Williams I had never heard of. There's a guy who calls himself the alpha male. There's a Bridget somebody or other. And I see their posts in my Twitter feed dozens of times a day and I don't follow them. I don't know who they are and I don't know why they're there. Something has happened in the algorithm that has given me right wing hate speech. That's fascinating because the other thing people who use Twitter have noticed is that because real advertisers like General Motors has decided to discontinue advertising on Twitter. And so to replace it, you're getting some crazy stuff. I'm seeing these promoted tweets that are like for weird supplements. Um, I could understand if it was a supplement for my manhood because I'm a 48 year old man. And so that's what is marketed to my demographic or like, you know, hair thinning or hair loss. Actually, I I could use something for hair thinning, but I mean, (laughs) these are weird supplements for like bone health and um, length of your elbows. And I don't know, strange, strange, weird (laughs) stuff. I've been Um, meaning to talk to you about your elbows. Well, yeah, I mean, they're embarrassing. I I just want to sand the edges off. Um, all right. The final thing I'll say on this topic, and then we have one quick wrap thing, and then we got to we got to break out of here. Is you know what really? I I mean, amen to what you said, Alicia. Um, especially around campaigns, this is a normal function. You ask yeah. for things to be taken down. Now, if you're the Biden campaign, what the right wing lost his mind about, what Elon Musk lost his mind about, you can look it up if you want to. Although, please don't because you don't want to give this more attention <clears> than it's already getting. What they lost their mind about was the fact that the Biden campaign asked for a certain series of links that have been posted on Twitter to be taken down. Do you know what those links were? They were photos of Hunter Biden's penis. And yes, a candidate for president would like pictures hacked from his laptop of his son's genitals to be taken off of social media. This seems like a reasonable thing to ask for. And the the right-wingers who are losing their minds about this apparently believe that there's a constitutional right to access to those kinds of photos. I cannot even begin to get into the psychology of what is driving those people and their perverse interest in that kind of material. Here's what's driving it. The Republicans are absolutely desperate for dirt. They have suffered the slings and arrows of all the accusations and trouble that Donald Trump um, has has brought them. They've suffered a midterm uh, blah kind of 
production and performance. And they are even more desperate now for some dirt, any kind of dirt that they think they can throw at Democrats. So Hunter Biden is a pretty easy target. Is he is he the poster boy for 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 uh, high ethics? Maybe not. Is his laptop um, a fount of garbage? Who knows? Does it matter only to what has become the remnants of a political party? In the 10 seconds we have left, we're recording this on runoff day in Georgia. Who's going to win, Alicia Preston? Uh, Warnock's got it. Warnock, Warnock, Warnock. And with that, we will wrap on Balance of Power. For Paul and Alicia, I'm Matt. We'll see you next time.